I am unashamed. What about you? Start the timer too for me. So you're dealing with a man who doesn't have a cell phone and is proud of it. I'm sorry, the person you were trying to reach has a voicemail box that has not been set up yet. Shocker. So that's Dan. No, that's that's home. That's mom and dad's home. Like they would even know how to <laughs> go so messages. So here's where we are, Unashamed Nation. So we we're obviously we're not in the lair. I'm halfway down to the lair. And it's, the day started out with chaos anyway, because my my living room is this morning. I get up, Jace, at seven o'clock here talking. I go in the living room. It's mom and Lisa because their book is released, so they're doing media hmm. interviews in my living room. So I'm they had a sleepover, a big sleepover, early morning. So I'm tiptoeing around all that. I'm thinking, well, let me get out of here, get to the lair, start the podcast. I get halfway down. Kay calls me. He's like, "There's no power at the lair." Great. So I call you. Hold in place because we may have to go to Duck Commander, which obviously we're here, so you still got power issues down there. Brings well, back old memories. And then I can't get a hold to Dad. So uh, I call at the house, nothing. Uh, I texted Dan, nothing. I called Dan, nothing. His truck's at the lair. Kay says, well, I guess he went over on the land. I was like, well, does he know we're doing a podcast? <laughs> so, so, so there's a backstory here. The last <laughs> podcast we did, it was circulated that we were doing it at, 10 o'clock. Well, Phil showed up at 10.30, which is unusual because Phil usually shows up early. I mean, when he says be there at 9, that means 8.45. Right. If you're not there at 8.45, he leaves. But he said, hey, they told me 11 o'clock. Which, I don't know, maybe. Uh, uh, no, yeah. trust me. The word got out. He, he 10 was the word. He heard 11 for whatever reason. So the point is, there are some good usages of technology as far as when you're going to meet what you're going to do together and so this is a but you know here's so jace i told kate i said uh kate said what are we going to do do you want me to go try to find them i said oh no we we got jace has filming to do we got another podcast after this one you know the duck hall room has to film in here because today's their filming day so i was like just leave a note on the door and kate said a note like I had just reached deep into the annals of time and brought forth this ancient idea. He said, I hadn't thought about a note in years. Yeah. I yeah. said, well, when I'm dealing with mom and dad, I deal with notes on a consistent basis. Sticky note here. I mean, you see dad's Rolodex is, is all next to his chair on num the, the handful of numbers he'll answer. So That yeah. is crazy how our world now, that, that is something that's going out of, out of favor. I mean, literally, he's a young man. He he had no idea. He's like, a note. Wow. He said, I hadn't written a note in years. So he was almost like he was excited that he got to actually handwrite a note and stick it on the He said, what do I do with it? I said, well, you stick it on the door. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, rem I remember. Like he was going back to his childhood. I mean, that's that's how much the world has changed. So, Cade, you learned something new. To, <laughs> something old is something new. <laughs> These millennials. These millennials. What is a pen? <laughs> <laughs> what is this thing you call paper? Because <laughs> they don't ever write anything down. I'm still kind of in between. Obviously, I have a cell phone. It's doing me no good because I can't get a hold of anybody. And then, but I still kind of old school. I like to write stuff down as a reminder. 
Yeah, I have enough. I mean, you write notes. I, 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 I like to write. But you're like, you must be like me. So I learn when I'm listening to a sermon, if it's something that really intrigues me, or I'd follow the thread like we talked about in the last podcast, like you did. I, I like to write it and think about it. And even when I'm just reading the Bible, my initial first step of study, even when we do it for the podcast, I don't go right to the computer. I like to write it first, then type it in. Yeah, I like to. Well, I don't ever type it. Yeah, that's you missed that step because I'm, a, I'm a just a. Well, the difference in me and you is, like we said, I said, "Hey, Jace, you've already taught First Corinthians." And you're like, "Oh yeah, but I can't find the notebooks." And I was like, no, "Well, I, I will say this: Second Corinthians seven one. There's a transition here, and I love this throwback to chapter one when he says, "Since we have these promises, dear friends." Let us purify ourselves from everything that con contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of reverence for God. So there's a throwback to chapter 1 where he said, and this is one of my favorite verses in the Bible, in chapter 1 and verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. I mean, what a statement. Yeah. And so through him the amen is spoken now it is god who makes both us and you stand firm in christ he anointed us set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come which is one of the promises you remember when acts 2 when he said they said what do we do peter shared jesus and he said uh they were cut to the heart and said repent be baptized every one of you You'll receive forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Then it says this promise is for you and your children and their children. So we know that's one promise. The other promises I, I jotted down because he says since we have these promises. He had just talked about us being the temple of the living God, which I believe is a promise. Correct. I mean, it's not just a statement. Right. He promised to live and walk among them, I will be their God, and they will be my people. And then he, he said, I will receive you. You'll be my sons and daughters. These are all promises, and the promises center around our relationship with God. <clears throat> and then the whole idea, you're exactly right, and the whole idea of the Holy Spirit indwelling the temple, which is a picture, it's, it's a new covenant picture of the God dwelling in the temple. Because remember, you had the most holy place. Nobody could go in there. It was just the high priest could go in once a year just to offer atonement for the sins of the people. So the only connection they had to God, to Yahweh, to the Father, was through this intermediary. And so when that temple tore in two, when Jesus died on the cross, it then ushered in this opportunity for the Holy Spirit to live actually in the temple, which is now you. So when you get to that verse in verse one that you said, when he said body and spirit perfecting holiness out of reverence for God, he's talking about the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. I mean, that's what the spirit yeah. does. He is the one that puts that perfection in contact with us. Cause even though we're, we're in Christ, we're personally imperfect. We learned that in 12, right. but Jesus is perfect. Therefore in weakness, the Holy Spirit says, oh no, you got just that piece you need that links you until the resurrection. Yeah. So that's why I was going to bring this up. This is a little tricky because it says, 
and I'll give some context. I was going to ask you about this because he says, since we have these promises, which you just said, we have the perfect Holy Spirit in us, but we're imperfect, correct? But then it says, let us purify ourselves. So now he gets to perfecting holiness. So the reason I think this is a tricky conversation is because if I read you three things, three throwbacks in 2 Corinthians, you would think that that's an impossibility for us to purify ourselves. So that's what I wanted to talk about. Mm-hmm. Because So let, let me give you one. In okay. 2 Corinthians 5, 18, it says all this is from, from God. And that that's in the context of if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Okay. The new has come. So all this is from God, right. not, not from us. Correct. Who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us all right, the ministry. Uh, so then you read 2 Corinthians 3, 4 through 8, which we've read this, but uh, it says... The God of this age is blind, and that's talking about the evil one, Mm -hmm. blind to the minds of unbelievers so they can't see the light of the gospel. So verse 5 says, we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord, and ourselves as servants. For God said, let light shine of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the knowledge of the glory of God. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show this all-surpassing power is from God. Yep. Not from, not from us. So then if you back up one more and look at 2 Corinthians 1, 9, and 10, and, and I hope you see what the problem here is on, on explaining this. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and will deliver us. On him, we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. So my point is, so which is it? Is God doing the purifying? Or how do we purify ourselves in the context? What I, And look, I could have gone to a lot more sure. verses. So do you want to comment on that, yeah. or do you want me to tell you what I think? No, I'll tell you what I think, and then you can tell me if, if um, you agree or you get something different. Okay. So what I've always seen here, and I gave you the first, my lead into it from the, the tabernacle slash temple, the, and the people, you know why they went there? Especially the once a year, but then they went all the time to make sacrifice. They did it to purify themselves. Thing is... They weren't doing anything except coming in humble submission and saying, here's the sacrifice. So I think it's exactly the same way with us. We can't do it. In other words, what's done in purification is outside of us. All we can do is come and offer ourselves and say, look, we need to sacrifice. We can't do anything. We need purification. So our role is just that. It's submission and offering ourselves. And then all the other work is done by someone else. Uh, 100% agree. And then I think it leads to holiness, which would I'm actually... I'm so glad, Jace, you agreed to be right by agreeing with me. That's, yeah, that's well, I agree. We need I... Phil here because he might have disagreed. <laughs> he, he probably would have. Let's, let's, and he may bust in the door any minute. Let's take a break. So, Jace, I've noticed uh, as we age, the fatigue and lack of endurance seems to lead us into thinking more caffeine is the fix. Have you felt yourself, uh, you know, if I just had another cup of coffee, another shot of espresso, 
for the young people, it's these uh, energy drinks, which uh, probably aren't too healthy. But we've got a new way to start your day. Uh, we're excited about it. Super Beats Heart Chews. And so they're a really tasty treat. They give you energy so you can get away from those afternoon energy drinks or coffees or all those type of things. You don't get that caffeine crash that's going to go with it. And what I'm excited about is it it's made out of a grape seed extract, and it helps promote normal blood pressure as part of your lifestyle. It supports healthy blood pressure, circulation, all issues that I deal with, especially at my age. So this promotes this product promotes heart-healthy energy, which is what I need, especially at the age I am, and probably some of you out there listening as well. So it's Super Beats Heart Chews. And so for our listeners only, you can get up to 45% off plus free shipping at superbeats.com slash fill. So this is their best offer available anywhere. 45% off plus free shipping at superbeats.com slash fill. Check them out. Super Beat. So I would like to read, there's a couple of passages that I found that I think go along with this to help you understand this. Because, look, the, the, you say, why are you making such a big deal out of this? Because there's a lot of churches that are, that are preaching this purification of yourself from a legal standpoint Correct. on you're good enough, you know, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people, people like, like you. you. I mean, that, that. And, Jace, to your point, <clears throat> the, the Jewish mindset, especially the Jewish leadership, missed that, everything I described a minute ago, because they saw themselves is having the ability to purify themselves by their abilities and their actions and their whatevers. Yeah. So if I just read hurriedly through 1 Peter 1, 13, it says, Prepare your minds for action, be self-controlled, set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus is revealed, kind of like what you said, getting ready to offer yourself. So then it says, uh, but just in verse 15 of 1 Peter 1, <clears throat> But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And to me, this is the biggest difference. Yep. He's not asking you to purify yourself based on some kind of legal document, a rule book, or a code. He's asking for holiness based on the fact that he's holy. Correct. So when you come to him, that's why the promises were all relationship-oriented. Right. Your sons and daughters. You do this because you love your father. Because he loves you. Remember the verse that this is love for God, not that you loved him, but that he loved you. <clears throat> it's reciprocal. And so then he gets down to verse 17, says that fa the Father judges each man's work impartially. Live your lives as strangers, for you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed. So it's not some thing or some relic or some thing you put your hand on, but it was with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb, an actual being. He was chosen for the creation of the world, was real, revealed in the last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and our hope are in God. So watch what the next verse says. Now that you have purified yourselves, same phrase, mm -hmm. by obeying the truth, so that you have, and there, here we go, back into holiness. Yep. So once you offer yourselves to God, there's another chapter I want to go through because I think this is an important point. I mean, a really big point. So while you're looking that verse up, I'll add, 
that he starts that section you were talking about by saying in verse 14, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. The same verbiage that Paul is using back in Corinthians to the Corinthians about, look, you can't yoke yourself with this whole unbelieving generation. You can't live in evil. You can't live in ignorance. You've got to separate from that by submitting your life to Christ. So it's the exact same context that Peter's using that Paul used. Yeah. So I think what he does is he gives you the impulse. I, I do believe there is in every human being a desire to seek God because he put us on a planet where his creation is evident, going back to Romans 1. Right. And there's a draw here. There's Through your conscience, the way you're made and built, there's an impulse to search for God. Then Jesus said, I think it's in John 12, when he by his death he would draw all men to himself. There's a draw there. Now you can dismiss it. You can ignore it. You can think you've heard it. But I'm taking him at his word. That is a draw. Yeah. Because here we have someone innocent claiming to be God, coming from a virgin, giving his life for the people that are guilty. That that If that's not greatness, I don't know what it is. Correct. So there's a draw there. Well, then the resurrection, that has to be a draw because we all are going to die. So all these draws from the way we're made, the way we think, the creation itself, the cross of the Christ. So you have that. Well, then he gives us the vision. Once you draw closer, you start seeing a path to something different, a different lifestyle, different set of friends, different purpose, different relationships, because God makes all of that better because he's right and true and just. Well, then, but he doesn't leave us there because then once we offer ourselves, he then gives us the power to pull it off. And that's when the Holy Spirit comes in. So you have these impulses, you have this vision, but then you actually have the power through his mm-hmm. power in you to pull off all these promises and, and purposes that you have in Christ. That's kind of the way I, I mm-hmm. view it. So, and I think what it, a good way to explain this. So when you see the word purify yourself, it's actually like an offering. Correct. It's a surrendering. It's a denial. It's a, in this case, Colossians 3. Now just watch how this same system works. So he he starts in one. He he just in chapter two went through the offering of yourself because he's like, if I just reviewed real quick, in Colossians 2, 9, it said, all the fullness of the deity lives in Christ. You've been given fullness in Christ. It was just a gift. You've been given that. Right. All of you had your old sinful self cut off, having been buried with him in baptism, raised with him through your face. So there's this surrender that took place. God made you alive. He canceled the code. So then he gets to chapter 3, and he says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, which he mentions, he's fixing to mention in in 2 Corinthians 7, 2. He said, Make room for us in your heart, which is an interesting statement. Mm -hmm. But that heart, that deep down thought, the inner being of you, what you think nobody sees, what you give to God, which is basically your compass to how you're going to make decisions, what you're giving up. He says, set that on Christ. Set your mind not on 
on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is now hidden in Christ. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. Now, this next three words is what I was trying to get to. Put to death, therefore. So the other two phrases, which was the same phrase, 1 Peter 1 and 2 Corinthians 7, it said purify yourself. Right. But that's synonymous with put to death. Right. The old is gone, you're putting to death, and the new is forming by the power of God. Correct. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, and he goes through all these things that are negative. And then I think it's interesting when he gets to verse 10 of Colossians 3, and have put on the new self, same lingo yep. as Second Corinthians 5, Correct. which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of the creator. It's not how much you know, it's who you know. That's right. why he said the promises are who you know. It's very important. Right. Then that's what all unites us, because he's like, we don't have Greek or Jew, circumcised, barbarian, slave, freak. Christ is all and is in all. Then he gets to the holiness, verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves. Well, here's all the evidence of holiness, compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive as the Lord over all these virtues put on love. I think that's what he's trying to explain, that this process is going to reinvent itself on a daily basis right. of keeping the old person dead and allowing God to work in you as the new self, which is makes you holy. I agree. <clears throat> Let's take a break. You know, Jay says, uh, since we were kids, we never really talked about underwear as adults. It's not. It's kind of uh, one of those taboo. You just never. Taboo. But in this underwear? case, you have you have put me on the best pair of underwear for metal detecting because you know you walk a lot. You're bent over all the yeah, time. You're digging holes. I mean, it's hot. It's cold. Perfect. So Tommy John is what we're talking about. Fantastic pair of underwear. They don't ride up. They don't go down low. They, they just stay in place, which is what you want. They have a great wicking material that helps, especially if you're out working in the sun in the summertime, um, you know, just to, to keep uh, problems from happening. As I mean, underwear is basically the umpire of life. If you're noticing them, there's a problem. <laughs> they're the offensive linemen. That's exactly right. You only know when they're messing up. Well, these won't mess up. They've They've sold over 17 million pairs across America. And they say they don't have customers, they have fanatics, and, and I would agree. Shipping and returns are free because every pair is backed by Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear, or it's free. Uh, and you're going to love them. So it's Tommy John's anniversary month. So whether you're trying them for the first time or you're a longtime fan like me, you get 25% off site-wide, which is great, save you some money, right now at TommyJohn.com slash Phil. So go to TommyJohn.com slash Phil today, 25% off TommyJohn.com slash Phil. See their site for details. I agree 100%. And the difference is from, from the old covenant to the new is, is once you enter into that purification, you're now entered into a relationship. And that's different than what they had before. I want you to listen to this, Jace, because this, this backs up everything you just said. This is from Hebrews 9, 23. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things. That's everything that was before, you know, the, the temple, 
the high priest. These were all copies. They, they weren't the real thing. The real thing was coming. And he was trying to get them for thousands of years to say, I got something better coming. Mm-hmm. He says, things, uh, copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. In other words, this was the process to get you ready. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. I wonder what he's talking about. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary. that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. That answers the question of why did he leave? He left to go into heaven as our representative. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again the way the high priest entered. See, that was temporary. Every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people and will appear a second time not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for in the valid, resurrection. Valid point, which is why when people say, what would Jesus do? That needs to be followed with what's he doing Yeah. now. Exactly. He's purifying now. He's living, active, working in us now, representing us. We represent him there. So I think an illustration I would use to because this got pretty deep but i'm trying to explain because a lot of people say well oh you know you i've got to purify myself and then well let's say they don't they're not perfect we're not perfect correct i mean i remember when i was when i came to christ at 14 and i probably went two weeks which is pretty long time without even sinning the first two weeks Mm -hmm. i was so excited but at some point you, you you mess up and i remember thinking well I've screwed this up. Because, you know, when you're 14, you're struggling to get your head around what we're talking about today, living under a grace system in a relationship where God knows your heart. He knows you're trying. He knows your attitude in response to your old self. And when things come up, he he knows that. He knows what's in your, your soul and your heart. Correct. On a minute-by-minute minute basis. So I thought of this illustration. It's like, you know, I have a problem washing vehicles i mean we have a lot of problems in our family you know we don't we don't shave and get haircuts we don't mow our grass but another thing is i don't wash my truck mm-hmm. and because the reason i don't is because at some point it's so dirty no one notices it anymore <laughs> they're not saying boy it's more dirty today than it was yesterday but when you clean it up well then you notice every little dirt spot that come comes your way and i think that's as a christian that's what happens all of a sudden god christ has washed us made us white as snow and then to make this a positive yeah then you notice the flaws and you're like oh i got i got a problem right here because they're standing out like a sore thumb Mm -hmm. because god i've put to death the old person he's washed me anew well i think that's the difference when it comes to you know dirt as being sin in our life in the world, you're just like, I'm so far gone. This is so dirty. I mean, I wouldn't it well, you mean wash try to wash this off. That's why, you know, Isaiah used that analogy about our our uh with the dirty rags. I'm trying to remember that verse. You know, we treat our sins like dirty mm-hmm. rags, where we're just like, Oh, let me clean off a couple, but the rags are already dirty. There's be. so much dirt we we wouldn't even know anyway. Right. And so 
I mean, may I don't know if you see my point. No, I see your point. In fact, it's funny. I would never see that illustration from your point of view because I keep my truck clean. But the problem is every time you get a speck of dirt, then you got to go address no, it. No, but then I, that also lets me notice the speck of dirt. And so I take my car back to the car wash. So we have yeah. the same end result. We're just looking at it. I'm looking at it from a clean truck. You're looking at it from a dirty truck. Exactly. Both trucks are in Christ. But to, to to make your illustration work. Yeah, but you you know, with your sin, if you treat it that way where you just don't want to be washed, okay, sure, nobody's really gonna notice your holiness because it's not there. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because they're not picking out. And, and but, I don't know where this fits in your illustration, but nobody wants to ride in your truck either, Jay. So I don't you know, maybe well, that's make, something that's right. But <laughs> exactly. Good point. I mean, my wife has said on multiple occasions, she said I'm scared of your truck. <laughs> She's scared to go in it. She's scared to go around well, it. Well, I can say this to to make you feel a little bit better. When I when I tried to ride in Dad's truck one time, the work truck, yeah, I was scared. And so, <laughs> as bad as your truck may be, that illustration is on steroids when it comes to our dad because. Yeah. That thing hadn't been cleaned out in twenty look, years. Well, the last time I got in his truck, there are living things in there. No, that's what I was gonna say. The last time I got in his truck, I because Phil can't hear anymore. No, we can talk about or, it since he's or smell. And so something ran behind <laughs> behind me towards Phil in the back, and it was pitter patter. It was something with feet, feet. and claws. <laughs> and I, so I look around. I was like, Phil, you got something alive in your truck? And he went, No. Nah. <laughs> but I thought, well, it went toward Phil, so I'm not going to worry about it. <laughs> but I'm not going to sit here and argue that I just— See, I have a phobia about that because when you're driving, especially if you're going down interstate, like you're in a very vulnerable position. Exactly. We're going 75 miles an hour, and when something then all of a sudden is maybe in attack mode— I'm in a bad disadvantage to fight off whatever's coming out. He's got the advantage because I'm vulnerable. Yeah, I, shut I, I don't. Door. I mean, I've had, I've had the, I've had many a close mishap over a wasp or a spider yeah. or you know in in my vehicle. But you know why that happens to Phil? Because number one, he hasn't cleaned that truck out in probably five <laughs> since years. he had it. But also in the last seven, eight, ten years, Phil's gotten in the habit. He opens his door and he leaves it open. He never. Yeah. You know how when you get out of your truck, you, you open the door it. and then you close it. Right. I mean, I've left my door open once or twice because I accidentally was getting it, something, right. right? But Phil, yeah, he just le- so he'll pull said- up to his house and his truck will be parked in front of his house, and the his door will be open. Well, we've established the rat issues out there, so I'm sure that's what was in your in his truck. You know, the the dad tells the famous story. They were going down I twenty. I think they were about Ruston, and a bat came out. And I think they were driving my vehicle, but a bat comes out. And comes out near him. So he's just, he just gets over on the shoulder and then dives over mom out the passenger door. Doesn't say, Miss Kay, get out. As she's opening the door, he dives over her to get away from this bat. And so he tells the story. And I was like, so dad, basically the chivalrous idea that women and children ahead of you, that's just an outdated concept, right? (laughs) And he said, hey, you know how we were raised? Every man for himself. Yeah, I said, you know, that's, I don't know what that says, but. That says embarrassment. <laughs> but <laughs> the need for forgiveness, that's horrible. 
<laughs> and what was so funny is he tells it like almost pridefully, like, you know, hey, that's that's what happens. Just yeah. what, you signed on, that's what you get. Well, to get back to the point, I Hang think on, let's take a break then. I think another illustration, and this is not you know, you think about it. People are at different growth spots in the in their faith. I mean, we all start off pretty immature. I mean, because you're, if you're a new babe in Christ, there's thing, and we're gonna address that in the next couple of chapters about maturing. Right. But you're saved. You know, Jesus is what saves us, and so what I'm fixing to say is not about salvation, but I just wanted to make a point, kind of like the truck analogy about washing the truck. You know, the closer you are to God, the more noticeable these things, this dirt in your life is. I mean, if you're if you're struggling and are not talking to God on a daily basis, studying his word, you know, meeting with brothers and sisters, having in this case, even what Paul was was for the Corinthians, you need friends and brothers like Paul that are telling you, hey, you got dirt on your in your beard or you know, and you got a honey bun on because that's your real friends who will yeah. like not worry about embarrassment and tell you what you don't want to hear, but yeah. they're doing it because they're they're looking out for you. And that's what well, the way we started this conversation today. I mean, yeah, he lit them up right in the first first letter to them. But you just think about it, there's times I've had in my family's life when things weren't going good, I did the equivalent of the same thing. You say, yeah. why? Because I want them to notice they're at a stage of their life where they're not close to God, yep. even though they're saved yep. and they're struggling, and they're just not noticing these bad decisions, the things that he said in Colossians 3 to put to death, These the start of that process that's not godly. No, you're right, and and that's a great illustration because— and and look, it's also a failure a lot of times in families because they're thinking, well, I don't want to offend my brother, my cousin, my aunt, whoever. In other words, I don't want to be the one that says the thing that needs to be said so they don't say it. Well, nobody else is going to say it. So what happens is, just like Paul's describing, that's what was happening in the Corinthian church. Nobody says anything, and then you just keep moving closer and closer to the evil and, and away from everything you've been called to do. So it's a great point. Exactly. The only ones who, if you have a love unified relationship, you're saying to your family, to that trusted brother, sister, whoever, look, I want you to tell me mm-hmm. if we start going off the rail. And I, I've told the story before, Jason, when we first started doing the show, because, you know, we everybody was nervous about it because this was fixing to thrust our family into literally a national stage and spotlight. What happens if somebody gets affected by that? What are we going to do? And what we said as a family, and we've done it through the years, is we're going to help each other. We're not going to be that family that turns on each other, mm-hmm. you know, that that I'm out of here, you know, whatever, because fame does that to a lot of people because they get to where they can't be honest with each other. So that's a great point. It's exactly the context in Corinthians about what's going on. Yeah, that's why when he got to verse 2, he's like, make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I mean, he's being careful yeah, because he's already ripped them pretty hard. 
I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we should live or die with you. I have great confidence in you. And look, I think this is a good tip for when you're really fixing to get on somebody's toes. You pick out some positive things. Like I got great confidence in you. I'm taking great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged in all our troubles. My joy knows no bounds. So it wasn't like he was just constantly ripping them. He was encouraging them. He was saying positive things. I have confidence in you. I, you know. And look, by the way, the the many times I've had to sit down with with some brother or sister in the church because I, you know, was a pastor, elder, all these years, I always started the same way. First off, let me start this by saying I love you. I'm so glad you're part of a church family. And then I say, you know, you do this well, you do this. And of course, you know, someone's sitting there and they go, uh-oh, we're going to get to something. And we are. But you want people to know heartfelt. We're not about to have the conversation we're going to have because I don't love you and because I don't want what's best for you. And then you get to that point where something's going on in their lives or something's happened. And you're like, look, here's what God says we need to do. And at the end, if it goes well, you you have that prayer. And, and hopefully you have that, you know, brother, I'm just so glad you were willing to tell me that because I didn't recognize or know it. So that's the way he's doing this to the whole church. Well, he's trying to have a difficult conversation, and he gets to verse 5, and he's like, when we came into Macedonia, this body of ours had no rest. We were harassed at every turn, conflicts on the outside, fears within. And he that now here's a throwback to how he started the chapter right. about this comfort. Yep. And remember, Phil went on that about, he mentions it eight times in 2 Corinthians yep. 1, where he brings it up again. But God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus, So, which I love that, that God uses people to, his people to comfort his other people. Which, by the way, before you start seven, I want to enter a programming context note. You notice he just spread out beyond Corinth to all of Macedonia, which is a whole region, more churches. And he begins to mention Titus, who's going to be kind of at the center point of the next two chapters. Which is, they're going to pull off the impossible. I mean, I'm saying that in a coy way. (laughs) Because they're going to bring churches together, which is very hard to do now and then. Yep. We like our own little camps. Exactly. So it says, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow. So they they got their feelings hurt. And, and look, it's understandable because, I mean, Paul's ripped them up one side <laughs> and down the other. And he gets to eight and he addresses it. But in this section, we really have some nuggets here. I think some secrets to our lives on how our attitude should be, and I'll just read it. It says, even if I, I love this section, this 8 to 13. Yeah, it's very good. Even if I cause you sorrow by my letter, which is which is my point. He says, I don't regret it. So he's standing firm in, I'm, I'm, you, and you want people in your life who will tell you what you don't want to hear, but right. what you need to hear, right? which is what he's doing. And he's like, and guess what? I don't even regret it. <clears throat> though I though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurts you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorrow. Sorry. I feel like this is 
like me explaining something to my wife why she's so mad at me. But <laughs> but, but also, do you think in that first part, I do not regret it that I did it. Though I did regret it. I mean, in other words, he, he's... I, mean, I think he was like a part of me regretted that you're sorry and exactly. you're mad and nothing happened good. Which, and... well, whoever, Jace, didn't step forward and do something bold, and you know you're doing it for the right reason, but then you worry about it later. Did I come on too strong? Did I, you know, especially if it goes south. I mean, he did the classic argument I do with my wife is like, well, it turned out great. <laughs> <laughs> but how he got there, I mean, there, there was... I, I think he's making this point about... Hang on, hang on, let's take our last break. I think he's making the point where he says, I don't regret it, though I did have some results, regrets. The yeah. results of it. I think he's saying, I, I don't regret it because there's a fundamental principle that he's getting to, which I'll go ahead and read it. When he says, for you became sorrowful as God intended... And so we're not harmed in any way by us. And to go back to my truck illustration, I mean, you wash the truck, it's all great, you know, and then you're, you're, because I, I would never feel this way because it's just a truck, but I know how people do. So you're mm-hmm. sporting around town, then you pick up a, you know, a buddy and he's like, hey, there's a spot on your truck and you're, oh, and you're just devastated. I just washed this thing. Oh, darn. I mean, why did you even have to bring it up? You know, well, look what he says. Godly sorrow brings repentance. So there's sorrow and then there's godly sorrow. It brings repentance, which is if you define repentance, uh, what do you say? Make a decision to change. We did that, uh, that metanoia. It's where everything changes based on your view of God's grace, mercy. So that leads... Versus the fake metaverse, which is... Is a, yeah. A creation of falsehood. an illusion of happiness. Just to bring that up, because that was a good point. So that leads... Well, every time I see repentance now, I think of that word, metanoia. Mm -hmm. That leads to salvation. And this is like the, the purifying yourself. You're putting to death. You come to Christ... You're sorrowful based on what you've done. And that once you make that decision to change, well, it leads to salvation because Jesus is salvation. It, it, now it's on to his power and leaves no regret. I think that's why he said I didn't regret it. No, I did regret it. Because you think about it, you can't respond to God just to look at this as in, a, in the context of salvation. Just think about it. If you hear about Jesus and you are cut to the heart and you surrender to him and he saves you, and then every day you relive the rest of your life saying, boy, I used to have a good time. You know, I used to party and yeah, boy. Boy, back in the day. Yeah, boy. I was I was something back then. Well, what, what are you regretting? What you had, you know, and you actually see that. A lot of times people think coming to Christ is like this miserable road that you have to endure of rule keeping and ritualistic. Oh, Jason, I've been, so this year's my 40th, um, 40th uh, graduation class. I mean, it's been 40 years since I graduated high school. I still see a few guys around town and every once in a while you'll get in a conversation with one of them and I vaguely remember most of them, but, and then one of them will start going back to the glory days and I thought, you know, it'd be really sad if I felt like I peaked at 17 
at West Monroe High School, that that's really all I got is stories about that 40 years later. I mean, you know what I'm saying? I mean, that yeah. part of my life, it was what it was, but I'm sure not finding a lot of glory to revel in it. You know, I mean, it's, oh, it's I, way better now than what I look forward to every day. But this passage here, I mean, this is where I can, you know, these some of these lines that I get credit for and they put on notebooks and bumper stickers from our little duck show. You know, one thing they were asking me, we were doing some kind of graduation uh, episode where somebody was graduating and they were asking my thoughts about it, about going to these 20 year uh what do you call them? Twenty reunions. Years. Yeah, reunions. And I'm like, I would never go to that. But I think they were wanting us to do it on oh, the yeah. show. And I was like, but I wouldn't do it. Yeah. And they're like, I mean, I was doing this in the interview, but they're like, well, what what pop problem could you possibly have? And I'm like, maybe there's a reason I haven't seen you in twenty years. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I mean, because look, I was a follower of Jesus in high school, and I wasn't vocal about it until my junior, the late last part of my junior year and then my senior year but pretty much everybody that i wanted to see in heaven i mean immaturely but i made a list yeah and i shared with them right and so some of them eventually responded but the rest of them said he drew a line in the sand and where i don't want any part of that <laughs> so why would i want to go revisit that 20 years later right We've already the people that We've established I, that yeah that I'm with who, who responded and the people I shared I had a list because you know I went to such a big public high school there was only a small group of people I knew anyway right that's and, the same and, way and in fact you can't if you go back and find a yearbook from the years that I went to high school you will find me nowhere in there <laughs> technically I never went because the day they took pictures I found a loophole on those days they didn't view that. There was something that happened in the attendance record that, so whenever we were going to have picture day for the yearbook, I would never go because it, and it wasn't counted as a day absent. I'm not sure what happened there, but I noticed a pattern. So I was like, well, they're giving me a free day off every time there's a picture. Day. It was, it was like a movie I saw at the end of it. They were showing what happened to all these people from college. And there was one guy that comes up and his name comes up and it says, there is no record of his existence. <laughs> There's no record of me in high school, but I had, I had made a spiritual decision. Well, in the last couple of minutes, I want to I want to at least read this. Yeah, so, so then he says, "We got a lot to talk about in overtime." It leaves no regret. Now, here's the transition, and and this this is a peculiar statement. It is. But worldly sorrow brings death. Mm-hmm. So, what's your initial impression of why he would say? I mean that that's kind of scary but so it's like godly sorrow brings repentance worldly right. sorrow brings death but it i don't think that's the good kind of death it's not and that my knee jerk is that's where all worldly sorrow ends which when we start breaking down the two different what a godly sorrow is versus worldly i think it begins to be much more evident what that well means. if you think about repentance being reconciliation you change god i mean he just talked about couple chapters before this this whole idea of reconciliation which is a big fancy word which means bring back together but when you look at the definition of death it really means just separation correct you're dead physically when you're now your heart pump may go off or you may get shot or whatever happens when your body shuts down but your soul leaves your body however you want to 
there's a separation that occurs. And it you're looking and you're like, what's wrong with this person? Well, and that's the distinctive thing between the two in the context here is because think about the person who has no relationship with Christ and they're about to lose their loved one. You see the difference? Yeah. I mean, that's a deep sorrow because in your heart, you're saying, I will never see this person again. I will well, never have this relationship. And I was thinking, too, when you get your feelings hurt, though, what do you do? What, from a spiritual perspective, you alienate. Correct. You're, I tell you. I... So in this case, Paul gives them a letter that just sets the, you know, their world on fire. And they could have just said, well, we're not going to have anything to do with you. Or they could have got so mad they tried to kill him or yeah. stone him. Or I mean, that that's there's a reason all these datelines and murder mystery and all these things happen. Most of the times, it's people can't get along or yep. somebody cheats on somebody and they get mad. Somebody's and jealous. They're sorrowful and yep. enraged. And they're, they somebody didn't get the money they thought they were deserved. And, and here we go. What does it do? It brings death. And they'll be in a prison cell for life saying, I tell you, I just can't believe they did that to me. Exactly. They're like, well, what about you? You didn't respond very well. See so what, we just got a little bit left. Read all the way to 13a. Yes. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you, what earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indigna, indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you have proved yourself to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was not on account of the one who did the wrong or the injured party. And this is the key, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we're encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we're especially delighted to see how happy Titus was because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. So look, everybody, we had a counseling, we had an intervention through the Holy Spirit of God, and he's bragging on them that they've received this well, and and we're being part of a forever family, and he's fixed to get to how we continue to help each other. Exactly, which we'll, we'll, we'll get in the next podcast. So any word, uh, guys, on Phil? Do we know anything? <laughs> so We're still looking. Maybe we'll find him. Maybe he'll show up for the next podcast. We're going to do overtime, and we're going to draw a little bit more distinction between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. What do those two look yeah. like? So we'll maybe, talk about that. Maybe we can send some smoke signals, because that's what we're down to. <laughs> well, you don't have a phone. <laughs> We're down to smoke signals or he's 25 miles away. We'll see. Maybe we'll see him. Maybe we'll see him again today. We'll know. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Unashamed Podcast. Help us out by rating us on iTunes. And don't miss an episode by subscribing on YouTube. And be sure to click that little bell to get notified about new episodes. And for even more content that you won't get anywhere else, Subscribe to Blaze TV at blazetv.com slash unashamed.